Crackberry remembered in honor of Blackberry. It's a movie. What product from history deserves a biopic? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and the inventor of Kellogg's cornflakes, Will Kellogg, seemed like a real weird guy. So uh, maybe we should dive into that. I'm Matt Patches. I'm gonna go with the shiny hiney, that stick that uh, rub your butthole with, and how they came, how they come up with that. I have never heard of such. I, a thing. I wonder I only how know they it, came I up only with know that. it because I went to uh, college with uh, the person who became the <laughs> spokesperson for what? the shiny hiney. What a mysterious origin story there must be behind a product that uh, <laughs> you, you reach you when your asshole itches. I can only imagine. Well, you know, it's not for scratching. To somebody. It's not just for when it itches. It's for getting up in there. And uh, well, I, I think... How'd they take know. it to that level? You know, you wonder. Uh, they're like, what if an enema but more solid? Hi, I'm Dave with the Seven, and I am also going to go with food. But I, instead of cornflakes, I'm going to go with fast food. Because we have to start at the 1904 World's Fair, where the hamburger, hot dog, ice cream cone, and peanut butter, amongst other things, made their national debut. Wow. When you said you're also going to do food, do you think that the shiny hiney was a food? That you <laughs> no, I was, I, was, I was blocking out yours completely and uh, throwing back the candy. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and I am going to go with slap bracelets. Mm. Just because I feel like did, it would be very funny movie watching murder? young children beating the shit out of each other with slap bracelets. Also, it would be very nostalgic for me because I have lived that movie. How many deaths were they actually responsible for? Only wow. So many. I'm picturing like a Lord and Miller out. film. Um, I mean, yeah. Called Slap! Exclamation point. Mm-hmm. The Slap. It's like the tag I was going to say we've never gotten the real like walk hard version of the inventor biopic. Like a inventor Bible. That can't be but true. Maybe, maybe the what's the Coen Brothers movie about the hula hoop? Um, Barton uh, Another yeah. Thank Jesus uh, Christ. The Hudsucker Proxy. <laughs> maybe that counts. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 428. It is the week of Wednesday, May 10th, and that's the day that in 1869, the Golden Spike was driven into the U.S. Transcontinental Railroad. Why can't we get that back? You think it still the exists? Golden like the- Spike. I guess all those railroad lines well, still exist, just we don't travel on them. Luckily, um... U.S. Marshal Jim West was able to stop the mechanical spider. Otherwise, none of Wait, the Wait, Desperado? <laughs> Rough Rider? No, you don't want not. I believe, I believe that's, that's who uh-huh. we speak of. Oh, Defender okay. of the Golden uh, Spike. Does Kevin Kine, uh, Klein play Ulysses S. Grant also in that movie? And does he drive the Golden Spike into the ground? Am mm-hmm. I following this correctly? Does he yeah. play Ulysses that, S. Grant? I wasn't hallucinating this. Yes, he, he plays, plays the president roles. as well. What wow. a genius. What a great film. Well... Will. Is anyone gonna is anyone gonna call us genius in our reviews that we may or may not have, David? Uh unfortunately we don't have any reviews. <gasps> what? Um but I think it's balanced out by the fact that we also don't seem to have any lice, which is not something I can say of all of the families of young children in my building right now. Including yourself. David. Interesting. Did you download Capital Games' new mobile game, uh, Hero Collector, that is now focused around Lord of the Rings today? Oh, Jesus. This is the first I'm hearing of it. Is it similar to Star Wars? 
Oh, it is a basic. It, it it's more like uh the Marvel one. Uh, but by I mean, the, people the Marvel who did one and the Star Wars one are very similar. But this is terrible news for me. Uh, I will say <laughs> that after years of dedicated daily check-ins on the Star Wars and Marvel games, I've forsaken them both just to be a full-time Snap boy. So, <laughs> I, are you I, paying I hope my, for the seasons on Snap? That's the only thing I pay for. Yeah. But yeah. I'm afraid you guys that are still my, not explaining to me why it's worth paying for. I'm afraid that my my well, guilds or clans in the other games have uh, probably kicked me by now. Well, you probably missed the whole snafu around the crate dragon raid and the uh, raid economy. Sure change changes. Uh, they're still in the middle of that. Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes having a bad week, but mm. there's another one now where, uh, like, within five minutes. I was fighting a dark Arwen and was like, what the fuck is going on? Luckily, Polygon.com has a preview telling me what the story of this mobile game was. Hell yeah. And why why suddenly why would, I was seeing a dark Arwen. Why would a mobile game need a story? Explained. What? I'm so what confused. Uh, well, because this I'm one not you're playing like, these games for the story, my friend. Like for the well, I wasn't even aware there yeah. was one. There's certainly well, the story in Marvel Snap is uh, I'm about a 38-year-old man staring into his phone for eight hours a day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a good story. Uh, about me trying to get away from my kids and them finding me and being like, I love this game. And I'm like, this is not for you. That was no. my experience. They looked into the screen? I mean, yeah. If, like, they ever see what's on my screen, like usually it's just text or Instagram is boring and then they see Marvel stuff they're like whoa that looks cool and I'm like oh, you gotta man. still say that's for work that's my line <laughs> oh this is for work this is work this is work yeah don't this worry is about for, it this is for work daddy has to get his this cubes is, this, is, this is daddy's <laughs> Dad, how do you game? think I pay for your school <laughs> his collector's tokens <laughs> don't bring themselves oh. you can get dark dino on hopes and dreams no <laughs> or his hard work <laughs> so uh you should leave us a review on your uh na national local apple podcast app or send us an email at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com or we will get more into this shit i will teach <laughs> katie rich about the post series three marvel snap uh card collection uh throttle or i will explain today why we don't do crate dragon raid yet uh it'll happen so yep. write us a review we mean it. There's not empty threats. You may have noticed in the introduction that, uh, it's the week of May 10th. Hang on, I got the date wrong. It's, yeah, it's the week of May 10th, and it's uh, Fighting in the War Room 428, but there's no other number attached to it because, Dave, is I think the most COVID cautious of all of us, truly. I, you you personally have declared the pandemic over, uh, but I also think oh, some World uh, Health Organizations are with you on that. Uh, I think we're done with uh, pandemic counting, right? Well, we're definitely done with it on this podcast. Uh, the World Health Organization uh, has declared it not a, a you know global emergency anymore, and hey. uh, the United States is uh, lifting as of May 11th. So probably the day this podcast comes out, uh, our, our order expires there. Uh, so officially, Dr. Fauci stood in front of a giant mission accomplished banner and uh, <laughs> a little COVID dot on it and we're done. Never, never gone badly before. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, anyway, uh, so we're going to stop 
counting it here on uh, Fighting in the War Room, which makes this segment our final pandemic check-in. Knock on wood. Our final COVID-19 uh, pandemic check-in. Oh, oh Jesus. I thought the pandemic was Tucker Carlson's Fox News run. Oh, ouch. Uh, oh. There's lots of stuff that a lot He's coming back on Twitter, Katie. I'm sorry. Mm. It is great, uh, isn't it? I've just been <laughs> settling in the past couple of weeks to uh, certain parts of my life that just involve a mask now and will forever and embracing different reasons uh, to justify to myself. Not only am I being safe, I look like a ninja. Maybe I don't have to brush my teeth all the time. There's lots of positives I still find. I mean, I think uh, if you've got a mask covering both your mouth and your nose, you have more incentive to brush your teeth. But, you know, you do you. Oh, that's only if you don't love your own halitosis. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's the the what what do we need to talk about to wrap up these uh, 170 weeks? This would have been pandemic 170 oh, if we were casting that long with that kind of number. <laughs> that long. It's only 90 percent of my child's life. Uh, <laughs> God, I mean, I I've had a kid homesick this week for non-COVID reasons, and it has been an interesting flashback back to the pandemic, where it's like, what the fuck are we gonna do with you all day? Like, what are we? How <laughs> how am I supposed to work? I literally was typing on the computer while a hermit crab walked around behind no my computer way. today. So it felt um yeah, we let the hermit crab take a walk around today. I don't think he liked it very much. T- time has changed <laughs> since this started, or at least with our with our kid grazing. Now we now there's we television. didn't have a hermit crab when the pandemic my, started, my- so. Baby girl wouldn't have watched a movie when the pandemic. Yeah. Now, now she could totally crash and watch PBS for like five hours if she's homesick. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Thank God for the zombification totally, of our children. I totally caved and let Asa just run wild on YouTube, which he knows how to turn on on our television and control entirely by himself. I feel and like your parenting you- swung from like snobbery <laughs> prestige away, like. Passed me into the darkness. <laughs> yeah, sure we've are. seen the yeah. number, the terrifying number of videos that come on on YouTube How in your house. How much Blippy do you watch at home? Oh maybe? no, but see, my daughter you don't came home and said she watched. You don't Blippi understand Ace's interests. You don't understand Ace's interests. There is no YouTube's kid shit going on. He is exclusively watching hour-long videos of rather mellifluously accented German men talking about uh, digital watch faces and why <laughs> the number patterns are the way that they are. Um, <laughs> it's called slow <laughs> cinema. Um, he is. That's the shit that he's really into. Uh, you know, and then a lot of videos of people counting to a million shit like that. So he's uh, just like I don't know. Six so months bad. away. That's six months away from Pimp, Doctor Pimple Popper is what I'm hearing. Oh, no. mm-hmm. Wherever the the algorithm takes him, he will go. Or maybe he's driving right. it. It's hard to tell. So that's what you're watching in your house. Mm. Yeah, well, sounds good. Please. Uh. I mean, pandemic check-ins were just where we just talked about all the random because none of us were watching the same things. So we what are you watching? Talking about whatever, right? What's all your random? What's on your TV? Uh, m- oh, you know theater? what? I had a thing I wanted to talk about. So uh, Charlie, who's the older one who will actually watch movies, uh, has been home forever. So we watched a bunch of television, including Price is Right, which I did talk about before we started recording. We watched Avatar: The Way of Water because he convinced me to buy it on iTunes for for thirteen dollars. Well worth it. So good at home. Everyone should watch it. Um, but we watched this Disney Plus original that's coming out called Crater. Are, mm. Is anyone aware of this movie sure. that's coming out this week? I am aware, I am aware week? of it. I will not be watching uh, it, but I'm aware of it. <laughs> there's no reason for you to watch it, but for me and a six-year-old who is really into space, and I have lamented, I, we talked about the Goonies on this show at some point recently, I think, because I tried watching it and was like found it almost unbearable to watch. Like It was so annoying. Um, but Crater is the same vibe of like a bunch of kids go on an adventure and they've all grown up on a mining colony on the moon and they're trying to find the crater that this one kid's dad, who's played by um, 
think it's Kid Cudi is who plays the dad. Um, I'm going to look this up while I keep talking. They just call um, him like Dad Cudi by now. I oh, think. yeah, no, it's Kid Cudi. Yeah, dad, he's da- dad Cudi is how, Scott you know, how he's credited. Scott Miscuti, right? That's uh, yep. Name? Which I guess Scott Miscuti because it's Kid Cudi. I don't mm-hmm, know. Someone, mm-hmm, someone mm-hmm. told oh, me that. Oh, that would make sense. I've only written it on a check. I know, because <laughs> you're paying him on a regular basis. Oh, no, I was, uh, my production company helped with uh, his day and night music video. And that's how oh. Drake almost stole my skinny tie. Well, mm. there you go. We that, all that, have that, a Drake almost stole my skinny tie story. And, and that's, that's how, that's how, how, how you can tell you, how old we are. Only I have that story and I have that one Drake story. Don't take that away from me. <laughs> so anyway, Crater is uh, very well aimed at kids and is uh, fine. You know, I've been really trying to find space movies that we can watch with this child who is very into space, but like Alien and Gravity and... Uh, the Martian, none of these are really going to work right now, uh, but like Kid Adventure, live action movie, decent kid performances, and The Moon um, had a good time. Well, first off, the 80s are, full, I mean, Explorers and Play the Navigator, which we talked I about. I mean, The Goonies, podcast, like these which are. we did. <laughs> Play the Navigator, also fine, uh, but The Goonies wow. really scared <laughs> me off. Like, I just like really had a hard time watching it to a degree I did not expect. Not because it's old, because it's annoying. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like your kid could watch Apollo 13 based on his. Well, oh, right so we we bought Apollo 13 on iTunes specifically because of this, because he was like, that okay. sounds awesome. I want to watch it. And we got through 30 minutes. and He was like, this is kind of boring. I'm like, I know, like, you got to get into space. Like, th- it's about to start. <laughs> so we haven't finished Apollo 13, uh, but we own it now because space. it rules. So we'll we'll get to Apollo 13. I'm glad to I hear think- uh, Crater's a real movie because it was directed by a real <laughs> director, Kyle Pal- Patrick Alvarez. It was kind of right. interesting. To watch this because he is a Sundance darling. He did that mm-hmm. COG movie ages ago, and he did the Stanford Prison Experiment, and clearly right. he's taking yeah. a swerve I, into Disney friendly so into a I'm paycheck. S- I'm so confident that a year from now, uh, this movie will definitely still be streaming on Disney Plus. <laughs> oh, after- are, are we being sarcastic that we think Disney Plus is going to start they announced today the that they are following the HBO Max uh, RIP path of taking content off their platform in order to save money and uh crater feels like it's gonna fall deep into one it feels like the, the prototypical content that disappears from all known existence um, um i missed that news and i will catch up on that one other thing i want to add though about crater being a real movie uh i was watching it and the score is way better than the movie itself in a lot of parts and i couldn't figure out why um the score is co-written by dan romer of beast of the southern wild so that's mm. what i heard. Good score. And, and right after um, Peter Pan and Wendy, which we talked about, Dave, which has the, um, oh God, the guy who does all the scores for all the um, David Lowry movies, Daniel Hart, um, mm-hmm. did the score for that. And it is also great. So good to see that. Watch Crater awesome. if your kid likes space. Patches, what are you up to? What's on your TV? What's on my TV? Uh, the Other Two is back with season three. Do, you, do any of you watch The Other Two? I have long felt that I, I, as someone who watched all the search party, I think because you talked me mm. into it, like, I don't think it's as dark I'm, as search party, but it feels no, like the definitely. same level of cultural penetration as like the movie that the show that's like smart people you like, like smart people say you should watch it, but like it's kind of under the radar. Yeah, but you're really watching The Good Doctor is what we learned this week on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I am not watching The Good Doctor. I think the, the better. I think what we learned on Twitter this week is that literally no one has watched The Good Doctor, and they're all shocked and appalled by what is happening on that show on a weekly basis. Yeah, I feel like The Good Doctor discourse is a little weird. I mean, the the guy on the show is autistic, or he's on the autism spectrum, I should say, and people are like dunking on the way he talks. Uh, 
that's an aside. I don't watch The Good Doctor, so I'm not ready to litigate this meme, but um, it's weird. Anyway, the other two, Katie, I think the stronger comparison is, did you watch Difficult People with Billy Eichner on Hulu? No. Which was like no. extreme New York entertainment, fear, humor, gay humor, like... This is this is coming from that. It feels very specific. It feels made for every person who has or does live in New York or is adjacent to the entertainment space, which is enough. Hey, that's people me. That uh, hey, yeah, that's me. It's enough people that like you can have an audience for this show on HBO Max. It's not probably for everyone, but I find this show absolutely hysterical. It's created by Chris Kelly and um, Sarah Schneider, who used to be the head writers of SNL. Uh, and Chris Kelly is also a Sundance vet. He directed mm -hmm. other people with um, sure Jesse Plemons and Molly Shannon, which was okay. I think this is much more successful doing like very specific silly comedy. Season three escalates even more into the absurdity and, and um, into the absurd, I should say. It's just over the top and breaking reality. But the, the setup for people who have never heard of this show, which I don't think many people have. It was on Comedy Central, then kind of like faded away, and all of a sudden it was an HBO Max original, and now... Okay, so that's another reason it sounds happened. like Search Party. It started off right. on another random network and then moved to HBO when they just that's decided right. to spend all their money. this also produced by your friend? Uh, <laughs> actually, yes, it is produced and by... I can smell a pay so for play. This You're is not Harlan, Harlan Coben, I'll tell you what, I do is. not watch... I do not watch shows just because they're produced by people I know, but they... I mean, these people, uh, this but guy. But you promote I, them I, just because they're made by people. Well, he, it's not my fault that they have, like, all the comedy in New York locked up. They also produce difficult people. Ah! Ah, um, you're so paid for, you don't even know you're paid for. All right, well, mm. I'll, I'll just say that this, this show is about this brother-sister, Carrie and Brooke, who are the other two kids in the family of, like, the next Justin Bieber. And as their as their little brother is blowing up in the music space, becoming ultra famous, they are, you know, are completely their heads are spinning because Carrie is a, a wannabe actor and Brooks a wannabe manager, and they want to be part of the entertainment industry, but they are dumb dumbs and they're along for the ride. And Molly Shannon from other uh, from the Chris Kelly movie is uh, the mom. And it is, and Ken Marino is in it. If you watch Party Down this season, you know that he's still operating at this like god tier comedy level, and he absolutely is in the other two as well. This kind of mix of perfect timing and and physical comedy. I, I think the other two and is extraordinary, and it kind of ramps up over season one, where it's pretty grounded in sitcomy. And as I said, by season three, we're just all over the place and. Um, it's so it's people really love the show. I eviscerating hear in things. terms of the entertainment satire. So yeah, I would highly recommend catching it. Um, the other thing I'm doing is playing Breath of the Wild, my five year old, in anticipation of next. Well, I guess it's this week, the sequel to Breath of the Wild, the long awaited less than forty eight hours. It will, will all our lives will yes. be forfeit. Yeah, mine's Mask in the mail. I was told is, uh, yours in the mail. What you can wait? Yeah, you get a video games in the mail. Wait, why did you get a physical copy in the year of our Lord 2023? I, like, I, I like just downloaded it to my too. Switch last night. Yeah. Because I have like a large uh, card with most of my Switch games on it, and I could just take it out and put in Zelda, and I'll be done. Hey. There's not, nothing else is going to be happening on that Switch while Zelda's on that Switch. Uh, I, I think that's a safe <laughs> assumption. Katie, last, last week, I think it was after the podcast, actually, Dave and I were trying to convince you to, number mm -hmm. one, Buy, wait, you did buy the Nintendo Switch? You 
Or we know we have. On, we bought a switch. We edge? walked okay. out of the Mario movie and bought a switch. Like, <laughs> wow. like immediately after. Uh, the Mario works. Mario has taken over our household. You feel, you've degree. walked out of the movie and you're like, you know what? The companies behind this just have not made enough money. <laughs> a billion dollars to the movie, a billion dollars to the game. That's what I say. It, uh, there was a Target conveniently located so close to the movie theater. Oh we couldn't. How could we, we not? Um, no, we were talking about Zelda, and I got a recommendation from someone else for. There's like a kid friendly Zelda, like a Link's something or another, Link's like a very awakening. Like a is that what it is? Maybe. Yeah, it's like a like a more like, like cuddly version yeah. of Zelda, and I've been wondering if that's the one that I should start my kids with. I don't think I mean, it. I don't think that game just because it's you know uh, over the top. It, it's not simpler just because it started on the Game Boy and they revamped it for the Switch. But uh, you could start there. All the all the Zelda games you can play the old NES versions using your Switch because it's a free. NES store, but I would recommend Breath of the Wild because I'm having a great time playing it with my five-year-old, and I had a great time playing with it, uh, like, whatever, five years ago now, um, and I wanted to do it before Tears of the Kingdom, this new game, because I, at the time, thought the controls were, like, totally whack. Like, there's so much going on in the game as the person playing it um, that I, I needed to, like, pick my bike back up, get back on the bike, and just remember how combat works and, like, the inventory. There's so many things you can pick up in this game but as as the kid watching, you would never think about any of this, and and why your son would love it, or your both your sons would love it, um, or uh, any adult who has never, who maybe bought a Switch during the pandemic to play Animal Crossing during that phenomenon. If you've never gone <laughs> and played Breath of the Wild, I, I'd recommend it because it's like it's so easy to pick up. You're plopped in the middle of this enormous map, unfathomably big map, um, and can go anywhere and do anything, and you kind of figure it out as you go. I mean. It is the Zelda games were designed to weirdly get people outside and like think about nature and think about exploring and just seeing what works and trying things out. Hey, I can grab a branch. I can do this. I can solve this puzzle this way. Um, and Breath of the Wild was all about you can go anywhere and do anything. There's no order to, you know, maybe you could follow the path this way, but you could climb a, a mountain or you could grab a branch and start a fire or you can do X, Y, and Z. Anything's possible in the game and it's just delightful for for young kids but i think it is delightful for the inner child in uh in any wannabe game player so even you Kitty, i don't think you should be intimidated by like the vastness of this game but you should be intimidated by tears of the kingdom which is about to come out which just <laughs> i am fucking insane amounts of complexity it sounds uh, expensive like, and something i can't handle it is expensive but tell it, me it more adds, about this free yeah. nes store this is i would just because i can play <laughs> go play super mario like like i did in 1996 for free i just i just did that with my kid i i handed her the controller was like play the original mario game because all you have to do is really like move the joystick and press a and as at five like kind of picking up what to do i feel like you should wean your kids on the NES games because they're so simplistic. I know. Uh, like build them my, up toward the advanced. My three-year-old has inevitably, and in, over the course of our Jedi Survivor playing, decided that he wants to hold the controller himself and watching Asa navigate Cal Kestis around the galaxy. <laughs> it does not yeah, fill me like with hope Cobra? for the future of the Jedi. But uh, he loves Grease. I mean, just saying the word Grease makes him crack up hysterically. But um, the thing that he does know how to use and navigates pretty well is the menu loves uh, not the menu rather the map he loves maps of all kinds mm -hmm. and playing with the the map in that game is like a game unto itself for him 
you're gonna like raise a child who is like his expertise is coming up with AI prompts and he's gonna like change the world with his lateral <laughs> thinking on AI prompts. That's what I'm feeling with map-focused uh, German watch YouTuber child. I mean, if it makes him happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> makes him happy, probably gonna make him some money. That, that's also good. Sure. Uh, David, what besides yeah. Jedi Survivor has been... I mean, I know you're... Are you still watching an insane amount of movies for somebody that... No, that's temporarily on pause. I'm taking June off of work. Uh, for the last part of my parental leave, and I will return to my 80s movie-watching uh, project. But for now, I've mostly been watching stuff for work, uh, which has been less exciting. A lot of canned stuff, uh, because I leave for that on Sunday. Um, but, yeah, I'm playing Jedi Survivor. I'm watching... I don't know what, what else I've really been watching. I'm watching a lot of... Watching a lot of playoff hockey. This is This is my favorite mm. time of year. For sports television, I should really start far. caring about the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, the so I Hurricanes control you this time a, of year. I mean, the Hurricanes are doing me a solid right now by having a three-one lead over the Devils. My, you know, the team that I would love to see die in a fire, especially after they eliminated the Rangers in seven absolutely heartbreaking games in the first round. But the first round of playoff hockey is just there's nothing like it. It's extraordinary. Four games a night, you know, all of them so intense and insane. Some of them, although not that many this season spilling over into multiple overtimes, uh, which is about as electrifying as sports could possibly get. Um, I love it to death. Uh, and now we're in the second round. The Rangers lost, and it was terrible, and I cried. But now we're in the second round, and it's still been great. I've been watching the first period with Ace every night, and he keeps asking me if we can be the people. He's, he he asks if we can be the people in the audience of the games, but also if we can be the people on the ice of the games. Um, and that's complicated. Uh, but especially because... I'm not sure which is harder, given the prices of going to a hockey game these days. He wants a jersey. He wants his own helmet. I don't know, man. I just paid for <laughs> your baby sister's daycare for next year. I don't know if any yeah. of this is possible. But um, As a compromise, I have rented this movie called Mighty Ducks. Exactly. Uh, I want to teach you about a little something called the knuckle puck. <laughs> it's an education unlike any other. Yeah, I don't quack, know. Uh, so quack. We've been doing that. <laughs> quack, quack, quack. Yeah, that's the last thing I need is my son running around quacking like a duck. Uh, give that kid more ticks. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't been watching a ton of shit. I will have a lot to report next week or the week after about exciting new shit I've seen, but, uh, I am Yeah, going that to... we can't see because it's only playing in France. Boo! Sure. But, uh, I, I am going to, in a move of, like, truly hilarious futility, uh, but also I feel like, you know, why not? I'm gonna take my Switch, which is loaded with Tears of the Kingdom, to Can, which is, like, you're gonna be... Almost as funny as when I take running shoes and exercise clothes with me to a uh, film festival. Um, at least I you can probably... play your Switch while waiting in line for to get into a movie. You can't. I am not liking my Switch. I'm not going to be that guy who you see just like sitting outside at line for people to fucking take photos of playing a Switch. But, uh, David's going to turn can into Hall H. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going to make do with Marvel Snap, which he could hold against his chest so nobody sees. Exactly. So the mean French people don't call but him out. I think I will come back from France having put in like a solid seven minutes into Tears of the Kingdom, but those seven minutes are going to be glorious. I can feel it. You're not going to leave your Switch with Asa? He's going to be so mad at you when you take it away from him. Asa does not know what a Switch is. He picked it up yesterday. He went, what is this? Uh, it was mm. like, he's like, is it a phone? And I was like, like does this play 
one hour videos of watch faces explanations. Sure, it does. I'm sure that does this sure device does count to one million it. for my amusement? I've definitely used YouTube on my Switch before, so yeah. yes, it, it could it could be right there for him. Ace is gonna be that cute as like watching YouTube on our refrigerator's clock and shit like that. Ban <laughs> from using it everywhere else. Texting from a fridge. I I watched Oppenheimer as Christopher Nolan <laughs> wanted me to. Uh yeah, oh great, that leaves me. Um here's my big hindsight uh for the pandemic. Uh if you're ever going to attempt to write a book, really helpful if the whole world shuts down for like mm. two years. Mm -hmm. Um now I feel like I've surfaced and uh, you know, getting back into the swing of seeing movies and watching TV. I'm also now on the other side of it been trying to read more books. Uh, I made Ooh. the, I know I made the dumb. Books. I love a I book. I made the dumb goal for myself in January to try to read fifty-two books by the end of the year. Wow! So I'm, I'm hacking along. Uh, what that really means is for busy months, uh, with lots of TV and lots of uh movies, uh, that I'm really considering maybe it's time to go back and catch up on Star Wars: The High Republic, especially after playing Survivor. Because I think I've missed a Oh, I see. When you say you want to read 52 there. books, you want to read 52 books for children. Uh, there are only some YA books. Okay, here's That's the true. thing. I'm really being a disgrace right now. That's uh, well, I was like, I want to read 52 books. And I was like, that's my own personal goal. <laughs> I, started keep, I started keeping a list so I could keep track of it. And Java mm -hmm. was like, well, I want to keep a list too. So now it's become a competition. And the only reason that sucks this is, is because... such big, we don't have children behavior. <laughs> it's kind of oppressive. Yeah, absolutely. Competitive uh, well, list of books you read. It's not I, one I, versus two? I recommend oh, so... not reading the Oppenheimer book, uh, which I read and took me forever, which is why I have read eight books so far this year. Which is oh, two, the and two of twice them are children's the books. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so like, I'm not allowed to put down uh, young adult books uh which i realized you just like fly through goosebumps like 10 a day be like yeah, yeah. take that well i re i reread one weekend uh clive barker's the thief of always which is a ya book that they keep trying to turn into a movie that'll never actually happen and so i did that and i was like does this count and java's like a rereads don't count which sucks mm. b ya novels don't count which i oh, understand wow. that makes sense <sighs> but here's here's the one that's been hurting me the most uh I've read this book called MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios <laughs> several times, and mm. I apparently do not get to put it out on my list until I purchase my own copy and read it again. Wow. Uh, it's harsh but fair. I, be I, yeah. I agree with this ruling. That, I mean, I think it's unfair, but sure. Uh, but So I've been having a lot of fun with that. Uh, I oh, just wait, finished... Dave, I need to ask yeah. you, uh, because I made fun of you, but I'm also now curious, because... High Republic is so important in Jedi Survivor, the game we all played and, and talked about last week. I was surprised how much of the High Republic was in there. Have you read the, the grown-up books in, in this series, like Light of the Jedi and whatever the Kevin Scott novel the is? There's like serious literature in the High Republic run so, now because they can write whatever they want. It's divorced read, from the OT trilogy. I read basically the first wave, I think they call it. So yeah. there's three phases and there's waves within those phases but i read the first wave of high republic <laughs> so now uh to start i'm starting with the second scott novel uh so we 
we've already had the hyperspace disaster. Yes. I know who Masharian Roe is. Oh yeah. Uh, I know Bad about us. Uh, I've been to the coronation of the Starlight Beacon. Of course. Uh, now we're now we're setting. Now, <laughs> uh, I'm here. The Dreng- I'm good. The, Dr- Three the Drengar have been the, have been released. The Drengar, they're uh, monsters, Katie. They're like uh, yeah. Lovecraftian mm. monsters that live in Star Wars universe. And mm. so now when I start again, I believe we're starting with some sort of like High Republic festival that's being put together and the Jedi are still trying to figure out uh, sort of what to do with the Drengar. I think that's where I'm at. I know that it's beyond <laughs> that because I also own this book, Star Wars Timelines, and I took a peek at oh, the High Republic and I'm like, oh, so I know there's stuff coming. I know it's far beyond me, but I haven't gotten, I've read some, not all. Katie, you'll uh, have to I learn got... all of this stuff before The Acolyte on Disney+, Plus, the High Republic television show that you will watch right don't win <laughs> is it eligible for this leslie year's Leslie Headland wrote it katie i do like leslie Headland. i mean okay, I, honestly gotcha. if you had asked me like the you know, the list of like we should do a quiz like does this person have an active star wars project in development because it's impossible to know Next so the quiz, fact that leslie bang, bang is kind of star nice. wars only oh, oh star wars jesus christ hilarious <laughs> um yeah, so that's been I've been reading some stuff. I think the most interesting thing that I've happened across uh, in the past couple of weeks is I, I think it's called The History of the World in Six Glasses. And it's an academic work uh, that starts with beer's origin as one of the early versions of meal as humans were starting to make uh, societies and how there's sort of the wet meal, which turned into beer as it fermented. And then the dry meal, which turned into bread as it dried and sort of how like human history went from that. And it goes up through like rum trade, coffee, uh, wine, all of these things. Uh, super interesting. And I'm glad I get to talk about it here because otherwise I'm just uh, telling Java things as I'm getting beers. Like, did you know that the, you know, hops was only added 100 years after? And uh, now other, I could tell other people to read it. Because it's not very a, entertainment uh, focused. Is there like a blippy episode on this that I can watch my child? Because uh, what? <laughs> no. Uh, how about something? <laughs> I'll close out my part of this segment uh, with uh, something else that is probably more current. Uh, Yellow Jackets, season two. Keeping mm. it cooking. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, you're into it? Yeah. I, as a f- I fell off after episode two. I got to admit. Oh, man. I think it episodes five and six, especially, I think it pick up the pace back a little bit better. Yeah, it started off sort of with uh, like a, a Empire Strikes Back sort of feeling where I was so used to having our adult yellow jackets together mm-hmm. and they sort of split them up. Uh, but things have come around. Uh, if you watched season one of Yellow Jackets, this is probably something you're expected. But last week's episode was the birth episode. Uh, and they did it in a way that uh, made me, you know, feel things. But also, I, there are a lot of secrets and mysteries still. And you love to see a sophomore season uh, that doesn't get bogged down in uh, Henry Gale being chained up in the hatch because the button needs to be pressed to, you know. Reset well, they the also only up. have ten episodes as opposed to twenty-two. Only nine episodes, I think, is this. I love the button. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, I, I'm happy that there isn't a sophomore slump in this, and I'm extremely happy with the addition of uh, Lauren Ambrose to the adult cast. Uh, I haven't gotten to her. Great job. I, I should get back on the style. I gotta get the Lauren Ambrose. It's, uh, yeah, I kind of slogged my way through, and then at the, by the end of episode six, without spoiling anything, um, 
I think it gets me. I also loved Elijah Wood. Like I thought like of all yes. the, like a lot of the adult storylines got kind of boring to me, but him and Christina Ricci together was, was a lot of fun. They seem to be having tons of fun and uh, yeah, hopefully the, they're able to close the season with this amount of hype. Uh, I remember when we were uh, talking about the end of Yellow Jacket season one, we were very concerned with whether or not it could because there's a difference between writing a TV show that's a hit in its first season and then having to go back into that writer's room knowing that you're a hit. And I, so far, I've been very uh, happy with the confidence Yellow Jacket season two has started. Too bad season three's writer's room only got one day before it got shut down. But one day is enough. Might, might be a minute. I, <laughs> one day's more than they ever got on Heroes. I would hope. <laughs> Based on the quality of that well, show. Yeah, well, I hope it doesn't take the the heroes uh, spiral. Heroes so. was like such a dramatic sort of fulcrum point in my life as a cultural critic. I think because that was the first moment where I felt like the rest of the people I knew were demented and taking crazy pills. That like they were just easily got like gobbling down the show. That was so clearly just like sub fucking mental trash and uh the the enthusiasm around it the desperation i was like i that was i had to go to the barricades i had to fucking get on the internet and start yelling about things if you if you hate the fact that i do this for a living you have heroes to blame i'm innocent you didn't like the season where hero the hero of heroes meets another version of hero so there are literally two heroes but with an eye this time i don't know if i got that far there were still <laughs> he had a magic seasons. sword I jesus think. Oh, yeah, there's so much heroes. <laughs> anyway, guys, that was 170 weeks of a global pandemic. Who uh, boy. Uh, the good, the, I think the best thing about it is, or you guys best could also. Best thing about the pandemic. But, Go. Yeah. The best thing of the <laughs> pandemic is, from the perspective of our show is we went for a period of time where it looked like everybody was trying to compete with Netflix. Theaters shut down, and now we're coming out and realizing that the streaming model kind of isn't sustainable. So back to theaters. I'm, I'm glad we, we, got, we got the chance to sort of work through that all inside, all at the same time, playing back to games over Zoom. in quotes here, I would say. Well, I mean, we're getting there. I, I, we're not quite at the level where, you know, there's a whole bunch of counter-programming options every week, but we are getting close to the level where there can be, you know, like, hits every week. People aren't being like, Let's just throw it directly on Disney Plus anymore. We're going the other direction. Unless you're Crater. Unless you're Crater. Well, we'll see what happens with Disney in the next couple of weeks. I'm not super psyched that uh, they're going to make a one-app experience for me that I have to subscribe to twice. But, like, I don't know. Everything well, about today's call was bullshit. We'll talk about that next week. It's like, I don't know. I feel like Hulu has been a very strange zombie for a long time. And, like, it's probably time to work that out. We'll see. Everyone gets Disney Star at the end of this year, apparently. Anyway, that's been Pandemic Check-In. COVID-19, thanks for nothing. Get the fuck out. Super Mario Movie has see made $518 million <laughs> domestic. That is bananas. Big, big, big. I miss my mom, I miss my dad.
Uh, for our mini segment, which is really kind of an extension of the pandemic check-in now that I think about it. Um, the thing I've really been watching over the past week, um, not with my child who's been homesick from school, which is is The Traitors, the uh, Peacock yeah. reality show that debuted <laughs> in January, I think, which is back when everybody was talking Alan about Cumming it. Alan Cumming is the host? Uh, hosted by my, Alan Cumming. Despite awesome. my explicit explicit advice on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, many, many people. uh, Yeah, so many people have said to watch it and many people have said the Australian and UK versions are superior, but Alan Cumming hosting a reality show in a uh, Scottish castle felt too good to resist. Um, I haven't watched reality TV in ages, like since I stopped watching Top Chef, like it may have been a full decade since I have watched (laughs) any kind of like reality competition show. Like I've watched like HGTV or whatever, but my thing has always just been like, I don't have time for it. Like I got to watch so much other stuff. If I'm going to watch something mindless, it's going to be sports or something like that. Um, meanwhile, David maintains a healthy reality TV diet. I don't know how he has the time as usual, um, but I had such a good time. I wound up texting David asking about the personality of the below deck contestant who was on the traders. And his answer was she's a sociopath, which honestly, David wasn't satisfying. Like I really no want to know her damage. You are. Um, but like it made yeah. me invest it had made me develop these parasocial relationships that like had a power that I had forgotten about like I kind of forgot the joy of reality television when you know it's fully manufactured uh, but get completely enwrapped in these narratives I mean, anyway in a way that's like it's so basic it, it, what do it's you like, mean and what, what do I mean about the narratives or manufactured I mean I mean, I guess an element of the narrative manufactured, but uh, The Traders is a documentary shot and told in real time, <laughs> and uh, there's no manipulation whatsoever. Well, no, but one of the reasons I recommended that you watch the other seasons, and that I still recommend, even though the British season will now be kind of annoying to you because they reuse literally all of the same challenges, is that uh, in the American season, half the contestants are reality show stars, and so they do come into it with that mindset. But in the other seasons, all of the people are, you know, in quotes, regular people. And increasingly, you know, as the episodes go on, how much the money that they win in these means to them uh, becomes a really determinative factor in the show because it, it messes with the morality of playing the game and bumping off your competitors when you know, you know, one of them wants to have top surgery and one has to pay the mortgage on their house and the other, you know, like all these things that are so vital to their lives. And um, it really, it, that element of it being at all scripted or manipulated you know the manipulations are the part of the game itself so it feels like they're coming from within the show i don't want the, the manipulations external morality. coming from inside the house yeah i like I, I i like just like the game playing all the time and like that's what's so entertaining is people like at some point everyone starts turning on someone because she like she's told someone it's just a game it's like you morons it is just a game like you literally are in a fake castle with alan coming telling you belongs to him and but like, that's, like, like that's what's so interesting because as someone who approaches any game of mafia with that ethos um, and I'm watching the first few episodes of every of like of whatever traders I saw first and they're all like, oh, my God, this guy's being such an asshole. A, he must be a traitor and B or like the reverse of that. Like, you know, he is an asshole just because he's playing the game. But as it goes along, it does sort of challenge your beliefs when, you know, towards the end of the seasons, people are deciding whether or not they essentially want to be the sole winner or if they want to arrange it so they can share the prize with someone else who might also need the money and seeing the machinations of that choice is really harrowing. There is a moment at the end of the season to not spoil it for anyone where a a white guy who is more privileged than the people around him 
makes a decision to bow out and say like, this isn't about me. And uh, it's like the smartest thing I've ever seen, like a rich white guy do on television. So I was um, delighted to see that among so many other things. Watch the traders is on Peacock. I'm going to spend some time watching the Australian version now because how can I not? Oh yeah. What's the Australian word for trader? Trader. Trader. <laughs> Local. Trader. Oh, God. <laughs> Matt Patches, you and I ventured into the theater to see the new James Gunn joint. The, I'm going to guess last Marvel James Gunn movie. Uh, it's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It wraps up the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, which involves three team movies uh two avengers movies one thor movie and a holiday a special wrapping up a trilogy but <laughs> the definition of trilogy but yes it does put well i think it closed the book on guns versions of these characters but the movie in true marvel fashion maybe this is getting ahead of ourselves does not wrap up the guardians in the mcu or i mean yeah, people made it sound so final it's not. I haven't well, seen this movie, it, but I think that's more because, and I haven't seen the movie, so I can. But I feel like it just in watching the conversation from afar. I feel like the finality around it is just because it feels like the MCU is dying, and this is sort of the last hurrah of people giving a shit. Yeah, maybe that's my optimistic reading. Uh, but yeah, that seems really, like it feels maybe like the end of an era. You reading? It's I mean, the it end. Of, it's the I mean, end of movies that people like. Oh, ouch! Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean that seems fair to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, what would I? Certainly seems like audiences, judging by ticket sales, are getting increasingly burned out on these things. Or they can't figure out how to find the next Robert Downey Jr. or reignite, reignite the MCU with like new cast of characters, new great actor discoveries, and, and kick it off toward a new version of the Avengers. I feel like this is a big conversation for getting away from where I really wanted to start, which I know not everyone here has seen Guardians 3, but I, what I was struck by with the discourse around uh, Guardians 3 the conversation I shouldn't use the dirty word discourse um, is that, that people felt really swept up by this movie to your point David like it's the end of a trilogy uh, my, my faves are it's over like this was my these, I loved these characters that always surprised me because and I'll be really upfront. I, I was left pretty cold by Guardians yeah. 1 and kind of warmed up maybe a little How bit to Guardians 2 could anyone love Rocket people, Raccoon the people, most annoying fucking character people in the love world the Guardians character so I, I want to be clear about where i'm going and that, that i understand the love for those characters i know a lot of people who you know i run with a lot of misfits who really embrace the kind of found family aspect of of all fiction like, but track? especially guardians like i understand why people attach themselves to this i wasn't that person but how do you all feel about guardians one and two do these feel does this feel like an alive franchise characters we've gotten to really know and love who stand out in the kind of marvel miasma of of content i wonder if there is any attachment in this room to the guardians characters uh, and, and and team i i have a deep allergy to bradley cooper's rocket raccoon who i made to understand is sort of the focal point of from you earlier the third on the one which makes me feel um but 
was yeah thanks uh but uh i'll just say that i i didn't really think much of the first one but i thought that the second one solved a lot of marvel's villain problems and had a really interesting antagonist until it all just becomes a swirl of cgi bullshit in the end but it, that was enough to make me like mildly curious about this Who one. Who was I the antagonist in, in Guardians? Ego. It was Lee Pace, then Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt, Lee Pace Lee is Pace, in the second you know, one? No, he's in the first, the first one. The first one. Right. Okay. No disrespect to Lee Pace, the actor, but uh, what's his name? Sauron fucking Shersha. Ronan the Accuser gives <laughs> oh, you the power of all the cards. He gives you, he gives you uh, two plus uh, for every card in your opponent's hand. Oh, that's right. Mm. That's the only reason Thank I, you that's for putting the it on Marvel's these days. He's not a particularly useful card, I have to say, and he's not a particularly effective character in the first movie, so it all adds up. <laughs> I'm shocked that you remember the second. The second Guardians came out in 2017, 2016. It's mm-hmm. been so long. I like I don't. I think what I mean. Do in the I, beginning I, of the movie, what happened? I mean, I know when they get to the ego planet, they meet Kurt Russell, and they're like bouncing around inside. That's when planet. Elizabeth Debicki. They meet Elizabeth oh, Debicki's yeah, golden. Yeah, the beginning well, of the volume mirror. two. That's like the cold open. The, yeah. I mean, the beginning of, of volume two sets up volume three. And then they meet Ego, and then it, it's, it's wait. So can you things. can you answer the most important question I and anyone should have about this movie? Is sure. Elizabeth Debicki in it? Yes, yes. and she's fabulous. Oh, she's mm. had a, she's having a lot of fun with Will Poulter. Don't make me want to see this. They they have a shtick. It's very funny. Hey, she has shtick. I love when she is. Oh, she's living. Big, she's painted gold and her living. whole thing was very was very Guillermo del Toro. Maybe maybe just because I'm literally thinking of the Golden Army. But uh, I think this that, movie, yeah, I think volume three is cribbing a lot more from Guillermo del Toro in kind of a successful way. But uh, it's 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 gooey. It's gross. It is incredibly gooey. We are, phase five is definitely goo phase so far. Yeah. Just like mm. goo, that makes it sound goo everywhere. <laughs> Although we like I mean, that's what the yeah, investors, what to say. Yeah. That's what the investors the really You and me, Patches, have liked both We're of these the movies. So I don't the goo phase. I'm assuming Bob Iger, Bob Iger just gets on the. Uh, the investors call and he's like, we, we did it. We heard what you wanted. Goo. We're back with 400% more goo and there's screams of joy across the land. So, Patches, I'm, I'm getting sort of the vibe that you enjoyed yourself at Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I am pretty conflicted about this movie. Mm. This movie has, is just like bouncing back and forth between high highs and low lows for me. Um, I, I, would, I walked out being like, I, I had fun i i can't deny that um but i there's there's a lot going on so I, and i will get into the weeds a little bit here even though these guys are along for the ride having not yeah whatever <laughs> okay fair enough I, since i got no responses no, like, to, I, I, no, I got no pro be... guardians responses here it doesn't seem like any of us have a true affinity for star lord or gamora or drax the no. destroyer well I, here's the thing after seeing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I don't like the team compositions of the first two anymore. They balanced one and two very oddly to forefront uh, Gamora Star Wars Star Lord relationship that they can't that they can't they can't use in this movie. And I think the team composition and the chemistry is actually better for it. Let's 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 set this movie up just a little bit to understand exactly where we're coming from because. It does suffer a little bit from the Marvel continuity of are you emotionally invested in every single step of the way? Like, Katie, do you remember why Gamora 
doesn't remember being in love with Star-Lord in Guardians Volume 3. Does she get snapped in the, in the no, snap? she does not get does snapped. She, does she die? She does oh, die. Yes. But in she's the alive. Avengers? No, but she's alive. Yeah, she gets she dies at Avengers Infinity oh, War. But she's alive yeah, now. Thanos kills her, right? Yes. Obtains the soul stone. Uh-huh. Okay. Daughter. All right. But how does she know Gamora from the past? Does Black does. Widow die also in Infinity War on a different no, she planet? Does. She invites she dies in Same Endgame. planet. Same in the planet. same Because oh, she Infinity went back War's in the first time, one. Do you recall that? Who did? Black Widow went back in time to die at the Soul Stone She died planet. on that planet with the Hawkeye. I know, but she had to go back in time yep. to get to a different planet. She went back in time and went to a different planet, Katie. But then they all also went back in time to New York. Yes, mm -hmm. other people. Some of them did. They went to different times. Okay? <laughs> Here's the thing you got to remember. Anything that when happened they went in 2019 in time, is rough for me. Guys. When they went back in time... Old, uh, a pre a different timeline, Thanos caught wind of the plan and came forward mm. into the future with a Gamora who was still alive. So the Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, of course, is the, is the Gamora from the past who uh. is not dead, but does not remember being in love with Star-Lord. Somehow, this is the entry point for a relationship we have to care about. Star-Lord is mourning <laughs> his relationship with Gamora. He should probably move on. And she doesn't care. She's running with the Ravagers, the like Marauder types who are. Oh, she's a bad guy now. Not really, because well, they they hire her to work on the team for this movie. So she's like back. Oh, in so it. she's a mercenary. Yes. Well, yes. Isn't that what they all are? Uh, that's weird. Sort what of. do you think? Not the, anymore. They are now an official group called the Guardians of the Galaxy. They have a headquarters on uh, the the planet nowhere, the, the nowhere planet that is made of the head of a celestial, Katie. Um, are they a, an official organization, Dave? They uh, seem to take no. jobs. It's the gig economy. I mean, it's definitely a gig economy that's focused on saving the galaxy, but they haven't crossed, you know, any of the barriers they have in the comics where, like, Nova Corps, uh, you know, right. assigns them a group or anything like that. None of that's happened. They're, they're... Well wasn't the message cowboys. of the, the Avengers, seven. at least some of them, that being, like, a governmental organization is kind of sucks, so you may as well go on your own? Yeah, that was part of it. So they're they're I don't on remember their which own, one, or if they undid that. But like at the beginning of the movie, Star Lord is drinking heavily. This is not really addressed later, but he is depressed because he can't be with Gamora. I, Dave, this is where the movie. This is kind of what the movie is about, but not really. the The star of this movie is Rocket Raccoon, David's favorite character in all of the MCU. <laughs> he is center stage here. It's about where did he come from? A lab where they were genetically engineering animals. Uh, the, this guy called the High Evolutionary, who wanted to create a new race of genetically enhanced people to create the you know the ultimate beings that could live in the universe. Um, and he was experimenting on all sorts of animals. The opening of this movie, I, I here's where I got really jolted, and it continues throughout the movie. Um, this the Guardians three trailer played in front of the Mario movie for me. My child, my five-year-old saw the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy where Chris Pratt calls uh, Gamora a dick head. Um, that was great. Loved that. Uh, this weekend, I was at a wedding, and I spent a lot of time in a hotel room watching SpongeBob SquarePants on Nickelodeon with this child. Many <laughs> advertisements for the Guardians movie and the tie-in at McDonald's where you can get the Guardians group uh -huh. Happy Meal toys. We have a... We have a Drax toy. My kids know who 
but Groot is. I sure. don't know why. Of course, no, they they want your kids to know who Groot is. But yeah, so ostensibly, this is a a children's film because it's ha ha funny Groot. Like Groot's cute, and part of this movie is a children's film, or at least it's like James Gunn's sentimental brain. There's so much hugging and like, oh, we're family, we're friends. Like, us oh, help everyone. And then there's the other half of the movie, which is a gruesome, horrifying, uh, just full-on bloody murder movie that opens with Rocket Raccoon and other animals being tortured. Just, just bloody, disgusting animal violence. And, that, and goes on to have both our, our villains and heroes uh, murder people viciously. And it is like, I thought this movie was more violent than John Wick 4. There are people being Whoa. cut in half. Uh, there are people on a planet being annihilated. There is just so much trauma and horrifying imagery in this movie that James Gunn's style is like, ha ha. You know, he, he has well, that. I mean, there definitely is a, a Tron Legacy style yada yadaing a genocide in the middle of this yeah! movie. I did notice that. Um, so there's just like a <laughs> lot of horrifying imagery and it begins with animal torture and I think it escalates from there. And then in the middle of it, I mean... I, I'll tell you what, like the Rocket Raccoon, there's a lot of flashbacks to his time being with the other animals who've been genetically enhanced, and they're like forming friendships, and he is developing his brain like as a gearhead, and all that stuff is really kind of interesting, and the performance, the animation is good. Like if the whole movie was a bunch of CG animals having a Secret of Nim type odyssey, like I'd be kind of into that, but there's still Star-Lord and Gamora, having a weird relationship. There's still Drax who this movie reminds us watched his family get murdered. His children died and he's a good dad, but he's also an idiot and everyone calls him an idiot. Uh, and uh, there's just so much going on. And then, um, uh, not Gamora, the uh, Nebula, the Karen Gillan character is like a center stage role in this. And she has just undergone so much horrifying bigger and bigger parts. Doesn't dramatic she? stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she does. And she's funny, but like, He's gone through a lot of shit, and all of them are screaming throughout this movie, like yelling at each other and being like, why can't you do things right? Why can't you save the day? Why can't you? Who are you? And it's all about friendship and family, and it's just so many different tones and so much screaming. And I, Dave... Mm, it sounds like the Goonies. Am I endorsing this movie? Because I, as I said, I walked out, and I'm like, I guess I had fun. <laughs> but like, there's so much at odds in this movie. I don't know how to feel about it. It's a James Gunn movie. I feel like that about almost all James Gunn movies. He has some like great, he has the ability to make some great moments out of stuff that should be absolutely ridiculous, but he's always had that tone. Like this is Slither, super James Gunn, uh, back again, uh, just with, you know, Disney characters. I think, first of all, the thing you said about it being beautifully rendered. Yes. Anybody who's worried about Marvel having VFX problems that did not affect it does look movie. really good. Uh, it looks in incredibly good. And, no one has uh, said a Marvel movie looks good in years. Uh, there you go. This one looks really good. I think a lot of it is uh, also, this is the first Marvel movie in a while that uh, it feels like they have sets. Uh, like there isn't a lot of things. Like Ant-Man the, Ant the Wasp Quantumania, if you recall, Patches and I reviewing that one, was like there's a lot of times where characters are just sitting around talking to each other and it's like, they could have filmed that anywhere and put it into the movie. This one, I'm pretty sure, like, obviously a, a ton of CGI throughout the whole thing. Uh, but they managed to use that space a little bit better but somehow through pre-planning, I'm I assuming. I think the win here is, is bigger than that. Like, yes, there are sets. 
yes, there are designed sequences that have been given the time to look spectacular, but at the at the most big picture level, this is a movie made by a third timer in the MCU who's been given the key. Like there's authorial stamp in this movie in a way where even Peyton Reed doesn't get that privilege in Quantumania. This is this is a James right. Gunn movie and he's allowed to kind of play in this corner of the universe and make his own movie. It really feels like he wrote the script and then they had to go off and make what he came up with as opposed to a committee movie that was I, it really is detached from the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it rambles on. Well, that's I think the other thing that's going to make this movie successful is uh despite being a Marvel movie, it is a space adventure movie. This is not a superhero movie. Like people are flying and shit. Oh, there is a man with a cape who shoots lasers out of his hands, named Adam Warlock, who looks like Superman, but himbo, yes, covered in gold paint, and has a great rapport with. uh, But you know what I, you know what I'm saying, patches. Like none of these people are like you know the Avengers or the Tower or the time I met Thor, even though they have just been hanging out with Thor. Like it's not important. The second thing that's going to make this movie, uh, I think, successful is because it is volume three and because James Gunn is out, uh, this movie is allowed to have complete arcs. Uh, Everyone gets to a place where they've changed slightly or drastically and the movie gets to end being like, and that's the end of the arc. You don't have any... uh, And that was your introduction to Kang, which Mm -hmm. I think Ant-Man the Lost Quantumania had like some ending problems there. It feels like the end of a comic Um, book run. Like we know the characters will live on, but this person got to play in the sandbox for a while and wrap it up for what they've contributed. Yeah, it feels like and, a final and we get issue. to Yubnub. We get to Yubnub with Florence that and the Machine. That is at the so end. accurate. Like, and, like it is Return of the Jedi in so many very, <laughs> I mean, overt ways from Rancor stand-ins to Jabba's fake palette. Like I feel like this is very Return of the Jedi, um, and it's sort of I mean, like it's, that. That's like what, it's not. Yeah, it's not a superhero movie. We're not going to have to worry about what Nick Fury thinks about these people or anything, which is going to be the rest of our years worrying about what Nick Fury thinks about heroes but in the Marvel Cinematic it, Universe. Do we have to yeah, worry what Nick Fury thinks? Well, there's going to be Secret Invasion in June, which is all Nick Fury, and then the Marvels in November, which he's also in. So Nick Fury's back. But uh, yeah, I think this is very enjoyable. I don't think it's going to be my favorite guardians movie because i really like how volume two allows uh i like movies where people yell at god uh so that (laughs) sort of hit a little bit harder with me uh but i do also hear what you're saying patch is that it's not necessarily an all ages movie um but then again a lot of uh recent marvel movies like haven't been Uh, it's not just that it's not all ages it's just that i think it slams into itself too often being gratuitously violent and then having this kind of like heartwarming fake family stuff that I just could not buy into when they're all dancing with each other, when they're hugging at the end, like when they're all, when, when Star-Lord is yelling about how, I mean, to be clear, this movie is about Star-Lord wanting to save his best friend. He wants to save Rocket Raccoon. The weird part of this movie, and I didn't really know what it was about going in, is that it's about, um, intellectual property that has been built into rocket raccoon and they need to Mm -hmm. they need to uh steal ip and make it their own Hmm. 
Is there a, mm. is there yeah. a metaphor there? Mm. Uh, but yeah, this, like, it's a very strange premise. This movie is doing... It is doing a lot of stuff. It is two and a half hours long. It does have like 20 minutes worth of ending at the end of it. But I think it is largely more successful than some of these other trilogy cappers because it yeah. just gets to be about itself. So like this is maybe the first one since like Iron Man 3 that didn't need to deal with some other bullshit while it was closing out its trilogy. Yeah, this is far and, away better uh, than like Captain America Civil War or something, which is all TM. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed it, uh, but I also enjoyed Quantumania because what I'm enjoying about uh, with the place that I find myself now and somebody where it's like, these Marvel movies are coming, they're going to have subjects I may or may not care about. I, I'm still not over the fact that everybody loved the last Spider-Man movie and I thought it wasn't enough about Spider-Man. But um, now I'm just, I'm excited to see some of this like way out there what we would call like crazy comic book shit in the early nineties, making it to the screen. And I'm willing to see if it is able to survive the crucible with the general audience. Uh, I think guardians has a little bit of goodwill behind it, obviously. Uh, but I'm interested to see if that continues, uh, when we were talking earlier about the thing that's going to cause the death knell of the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, if in a movie that has Avengers in the title, comes out and doesn't make a billion dollars, then we're in trouble. We? Uh, and, honest, and honestly, I think uh, if Deadpool 3 uh, crashes, that might be another sign because Deadpool 3 is going to make an insane amount of money with the comic book people the who actually is, care about it. The key is more of these movies need goo. And Guardians 3 yeah. gets it. The Guardians 3 has a planet. It's not a planet. It's like... A, uh, man-made planet. It's an office. Office building made of organic matter. It is a meat building that they have to slice into and goo away. And then when they go inside, all the <laughs> controls are made of goo. And Nathan Fillion is there wearing a goo suit and shooting people with goo and stuff. And like it's really gooey. Everything is goo. And yeah. um, that I I really loved. I will say it was like bordering on Rick and Morty shtick. And I'm like, James Gunn, have you gotten sucked into the Marvel, uh, the Rick and Morty to Marvel pipeline on some level? This is all this goo might be a Rick and Morty thing, but he, he made I mean, it his James own. Gunn is responsible for the, the Rick and Morty to Marvel plot line because people are like, how do we do more like James Gunn? And they're like, all right. well, that's what Rick and Morty's doing. And then this that. was supposed to be it's supposed to be the first film in volume four before James Gunn got fired. And it feels like that or phase four or whatever. It's supposed to be like end game. Didn't you write a book about Marvel? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Uh, so I guess on that note, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three. Fine. You know, Wait, I, have a, I have a question about this phase four stuff and Why? everything. <laughs> sort of. Um, does this, does this feel, when you talk about it, feeling like a comic book run where someone got to run with it and go, does this feel like the last of that period of Marvel where we're like, oh, exciting. This person's making a Marvel movie. Or does it feel like the success of this proves that they still do want to sort of sometimes make movies like this or there's a a director. The success of this, it's, it's the lowest grossing major Marvel movie in years. Okay, then never mind. What, what, What is, what is? This? this was yeah. Well, it can't be, can't be lower than like a than disaster turtles. for. Can't be like, but like in terms of the uh, the sequels to any of these Marvel movies, I think it's pulled in considerably less than 
so many of them, and you saw the dip that Quantum Media had in its opening weekend. I don't think anyone in Marvel is is running laps, victory laps for the the performance. Of this I mean, movie's opening weekend. Marvel or uh, Disney has already crossed uh, two billion dollars in theatrical grosses, so I think they I think they think they're fine. Like that's that's another thing. This and Quantum Mania are going to move into the spots behind Mario in highest grossing movies in the year until we get to Oppenheimer Barbie I mean, weekend, maybe. Uh, no, Mission Impossible. Force Past Lives comes out on June 2nd <laughs> or something. Mission so, Impossible is coming around the bend. If they end the year with the, all three of their theatrical releases in the top 10, they're going to be fine. If they end the year with just two of them in the top 10, they're going to be fine. I, I mean, I, I get... I get why people feel like it's, you know, wobbling or maybe not like the king of the box office or anything, but we're judging that against like 2018 and 2019 where every other movie made a billion dollars. That's not sustainable for anything. Mm. No. Okay, so but my I, bigger I question like... is do they want more of where this came from or is the future of Marvel going to look more like the assembly line stuff? Uh, I think they're actually going to go more in this direction, but not necessarily because of this, because I think uh, they What's are... Your... What are you pointing to when you think that? Because I was going to say, isn't Fantastic Four being directed by the WandaVision slash TV guy? Like, In theory. Why, but we'll see what happens. Why are these movies being made by Shoot for the Suits TV I guy? I just feel... Not, no, with no my... offense to that guy. <laughs> because Kevin Feige really enjoyed working with Sam Raimi, and he feels he did. Uh, anecdotally that he didn't have to be as hands-on with that movie, and so he kind of like got a movie that he liked with a director just kind of letting him do what he wants. Uh, Ryan Coogler also kind of gets to do this. Yeah, he had to in- introduce a whole bunch of characters in yeah, Wakanda Forever, but, but he introduced it for properties that he's also producing. Like, he's producing Ironheart, he's producing the Wakanda series, so he's doing that to himself. I, I think ideally, uh, Marvel wants to move more into competent directors. Uh, and I think Guardians, uh, competent directors, that's not the way I want to say it, more experienced directors who have a unique vision and less pulling from like what they used to do, just like get an indie director and shove them into the machine. Uh, we'll see. The machine also has to slow down. That's part of what Disney officially Nobody announced. Nobody gives a shit been... anymore. I mean, that's obviously, I want that to be true uh, to some degree. And so you're trying to manifest it's easy for me to say that I feel, that, I feel also, that in the air, but I do feel yeah. that in the air. Also, Katie, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is never going to be let go by Marvel because Disney theme parks east of the Mississippi can't use some of Marvel's biggest characters because they're licensed out to Universal. So if you want mm. to have a Avengers land in, uh, you know, Disney World, really the Guardians are the most famous Avengers that you're allowed to have appear in Disney World. That's why. Wow. They've got the roller coaster down there. That's why I'll and still why, ride the Hulk coaster at Universal Studios. That's why I think this movie ends kind of the way it does. Which is like, it's supposed to be an ending. It feels like an ending. It does not have the stakes of an ending. It has the stakes I, of a third. I will say film. this is a weird hope for maybe the criticism we've given this movie but um, and, and the Marvel machine as a whole. But what I was left feeling during Guardians 3 is I wish I had seen this team and this story told as a television show. I and oh maybe boy. And, that mm, is a real right. no, 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 wait, hold on. Let me let me just say that I've been watching a lot of DS9, a lot of, of these Space Nine, Star Trek stuff, and what this movie needs for me to really care about these characters hugging it out and learning about each other and going on space adventures is like downtime 
There's no downtime in the Guardians universe. It's all plot. This movie is loaded with exposition, and I felt like the first third was really choppy and disorienting uh, in just how much they're they're plowing through. And I just want to like see them do a DS9 or Farscape or any of these oh shows where God. we're just like chilling with the crew. Firefly, the Nathan Fillion's like you're you're triggering me having him in this movie because I'm just like chill out and do crew stuff. Um, I want I want. Guardians like TV show. If you went into the archives, there are probably 10 different review segments we've done that end with Patches saying, I just want these characters to do a Farscape. And that is when you know the segment has gone on too long. We're shutting it down. Letting everyone go back about their lives. Well, I'm going to remind you that you wished for something to be TV because, my God, are we not uh, worrying about what happens when someone's like, we need more of this? And the answer is usually you, that you Yeah, don't. nothing's going to be anything anytime soon, so... That's true. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Marvel. Okay, maybe, who knows? See you in June. That does it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm the executive editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm on Letterboxd at Mr. Patches. And... We have a website, fightinginthewarm.com. You can listen to old episodes. I think we've been doing this long enough to have reviewed all the Guardians movies. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I don't definitely. Know if we liked yeah. Them, but some of us did. Um, but <laughs> you, you can go back and, and listen to all of them. We could talk. I'm sure we talked about when Gamora died in Infinity War. We were like, what's how are they going to bring her back for volume three? Now we know. Fightinginthewarm.com. <laughs> uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I think this is the first time since my daughter was born, barring the quarter quell that I managed to make it through an entire episode. It was tough. Yeah. During that last segment, but I made it. Um, you can find me on what do I do for a living? I write about movies at IndieWire. I'm about to go to Cannes, where you can see me tweeting on David Ehrlich on Twitter about all the movies I see and writing about them a much greater length on IndieWire. Um, you can find all of us, more importantly, together on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We haven't gotten one since April 30th, 2023. Uh, but if you leave us one there, we'll read it live on the show. Good, bad, anywhere in between. Let your voice be heard. You can also email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com where you could reach people like me, Dave Gonzalez. You could follow on Twitter at EA7E. I also wrote a book about Marvel. You could pre-order that at themcubook.com. Simple URL. Still included the the, though. I don't have to make it just MCU book. Shut up, Justin Timberlake. Uh... I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where we're still talking about the writer strike. I'm sure we'll continue talking about it here too, but we talked more about it this week. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where you can tell me how right I got my recap of uh, Avengers Infinity War. Or you can answer this week's, <laughs> you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of BlackBerry, what product from history deserves a biopic? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. We're done.